A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope you've had a good week. It's been a quiet enough week, hasn't it? Not much has happened in the world. Nothing I can think of anyway that uh, has caught the attention and made people go, what the fuck? What? What? It's just all been about whether or not Arsenal should have played a diamond in midfield at Anfield as far as I can see. That's been about the the only talking point, the only discussion that anybody's had. But look, that is that is just water under the bridge now at this point. I don't know which particular bridge, not the Humber Bridge, not London Bridge, Kloppen Bridge. Can we call it that? We can, I guess, if it's just a made-up fictional bridge under which many trolls live. That's the way to get rid of trolls, you know. Just get rid of bridges. Without bridges, trolls are essentially powerless. Uh, Without bridges and, of course, uh, social media accounts. They seem to like it there, too. But we have got a lot going on this week because, uh, you know, there's the small matter of the North London Derby coming up on Sunday. It's always a a big, huge, exciting, nerve-wracking, nail-biting, pant clenching can you know you can't clench your pants but buttock clenching nail but i already said nail biting what else do you do when you're nervous eat some people eat don't they they just eat or what else smoke chain smoking if you're a smoker i'm not i used to be but now i'm not pill popping do people take pills when they're nervous perhaps but not while watching football i wouldn't have thought that that wouldn't be the kind of instant stress relief that you get from, you know, nail-biting or buttock-clenching. It's one of those games, you know what I'm trying to say. And after the defeat at Anfield, which, of course, as we keep uh, saying, was not unexpected, there is a bit of pressure now on us to go into the first interlull of the new season with three points and with a win over Tottenham. So we are going to talk about that game. We're going to look forward to it. We're going to talk about lots of stuff. A bit of a roundtable discussion for you today. So I'll introduce my guests to you in a few minutes' time. And then, of course, we do go into an interlull. It's an international break already. I know it happens every season where it just kicks off and then you've got a two-week break for internationals and it's a pain in the arse and we get it again in October and we get it again in November and we always go, these interlulls, or a pain in the face. But hopefully, if we do go into this one with uh, three points under our belt from the Derby, nine points in total, that'll give us from our opening four games. And fingers crossed, the kind of performance that will allow us to float happily through the interlull without any introspection, without too much navel-gazing, without a lot of gnawing and ganeshing of teeth, 
because the result or the performance didn't go our way. Uh, you know, I, I can live with that, particularly as for one of the weeks of the interlal, I'm going on my holidays. So, uh, yeah, it's all on you guys, Arsenal, please, if you wouldn't mind. A little bit later on, I will give you a bit of an update about the Arsblog app for iOS. That has been updated. I'll tell you about some of the new things in there. That's a little bit later on, though. But we might as well just crack on into the show and get stuck into these uh, talking points that I have written down in front of me here, and who knows what else. Uh, The conversation might take us on a strange, wonderful tangent, a bit like an Eric Cantona speech at the Champions League draw. Wow, that was really quite something, but he is absolutely taking the piss. I would never call myself a big Eric Cantona fan, but to go along to one of those ceremonies, which is sort of you know, full of pomp and bullshit and they they make it out to be this really huge, important thing and they take it all so very seriously and he comes along and starts waffling about whatever the fuck he was talking about. I can't remember now, but it's just whatever came into the top of his head. It was almost like he was doing a podcast. You kind of have to like that, I think. Anyway. We've got the Europa League draw tomorrow, of course. Well, today, Friday, probably when you're listening to this, the Europa League draw either will be taking place or has taken place, where we find out if we're going to face FC or Dynamo. Did you see Aaron Ramsey's Instagram post where he he posted a picture of the, the draw that Juventus got in the Champions League and he said something like, can't wait to play in this tournament again. Next year, folks, next year. I'm confident with the squad that we have that we've got enough talent to get into the top four this season and uh, find ourselves back feasting from Europe's top table uh, for the 2020-21. Sounds like a lot of 20s. 2020-21 season. It'll be 20... It'll be 2020 next year. Fuck me. Sometimes you just kind of forget what year it is. And 2020 seems unspeakably futuristic, but it's now. And when you look at what's going on now, I I thought 2020 would be better than this. Well, 2019. I thought it would be a lot better. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, let's get on with the show. And I've got three guests with me tonight who are going to talk about stuff and things, which is all anybody's interested in. First up, uh, he writes the tactics column on Arsblog. Uh, it's Lewis Ambrose. Hi, Lewis. Hi, Andrew. We've also got Andrew Allen, who writes lots of stuff for Arsblog News. Hello, Andrew. Good evening. And a columnist for Arsblog for a long time. He does the Arsenal women's stuff on Arsblog News, among many other things as well. Tim Stillman. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Um, let me start with you, Tim, very quickly, because we, we we were beaten by Liverpool on Saturday, and it was a game which um, sparked a huge amount of discussion. Uh, people who have listened to the Arscast Extra will have heard myself and James go at it from two very different angles, and I think that's quite a an interesting part of the discussion that's gone on around the game. I'm, I'm just sort of interested in your thoughts as to why, given it was a game that most people expected us to lose, there was such a focus on what we did or what we didn't do or how we approached the game. Is it sort of fans looking for a way to understand Unai Emery still, given that we're in a second season now and we're looking for things to, um, if not identify with with him, but to try and understand? 
I think that's a little bit of it. Yeah, I, I do genuinely think, though, that most of it is just that it was a really fascinating approach that has divided opinion, as you know, as you said, the Ask I Asked Extra kind of showed. And uh, it really did kind of pick up on that divide between people who are quite sanguine and said, well, we were going to lose anyway. I'm glad we tried something that I can actually identify and see what we were doing. And, and you know, quite a lot of people who thought, well, yeah, I can see what we were doing, but why were we doing it? Um <laughs> kind of thing so I, I do genuinely think it was just like a tactically really quite interesting approach and I, I I haven't really decided what I think of it to be honest I, I think I'm somewhere between the two I, I think the thing is with Liverpool they just give you so many problems they have so many different ways to hurt you that uh, you know the, the phrase I'd use is the blanket is never big enough and actually what we did in the first half I thought was completely contain their front three but obviously at the cost of giving up of, of like completely giving up space to the fullbacks to the point that it almost looked like, you know, we were kind of trying to make them do that, like some kind of game of chicken mm. or something or like, you know, brandishing a red rag and hoping that they go for it um, so that we could get, you know, get the space in behind them. And, and, and I think, I think the thing is, it was a very, very kind of, um, it was a very death or glory approach um, and I think the other interesting thing really is that arguably that's not really what undid us in the end. It was probably other mistakes outside of the actual strategy itself, mm. um, which, which, which kind of makes it interesting as well, because you can argue that, yeah, Liverpool put tons and tons and tons of crosses in. But, um, you know, Arsenal weren't hugely worried by a lot of them, but... At the same time, I, I take the point you made uh, on Monday, you know, about the stress of it all. And I also think that we physically gave our midfield so much to do that they just, they got exhausted yeah. um, in the second half, you know, trying to do doggies over to the Liverpool fullbacks. So I, I, I do think there is a little bit of, we're still looking for something under Unai Emery, but actually this this may be um, there's a bit of a paradox because we could really see something not that it's you know his plan every week but it's one he's used a few times in big games but we could see what he was trying to do and you know I use the phrase the blanket's never big enough and what we basically decided to do was pull it all the way up over our heads and just leave our feet to freeze <laughs> and and see what happens yeah. so it, it was it was just very interesting i think yeah lewis you you made the point in the tactics column on the site this week that um if people haven't read at this point they, they should go and read um that it you know we talked about giving liverpool the the wings and letting their fullbacks have the ball to cross it in but it wasn't so much uh like that was exact that wasn't exactly the plan it was just the way it turned out because of the way we approached the game i think i think there's something we can't rule out unfortunately would be incredible if we can uh but we can't we don't know what unai emery asked the team to do so a lot of this debate about oh well Actually, we just let them have the fullback spaces. Um, maybe Pepe and Aubameyang were not positioned exactly how they were supposed to be, and it meant that the fullbacks were getting the ball in space over and over again. Maybe it was exactly how we intended. We just, like I say, we just can't know exactly what his thoughts were behind playing the team that he played. But I think that really, yeah, we just. From from what I saw when I, I watched the game again, when I do the analysis and I usually watch it on two times speed to to kind of to really see patterns instead of focus fixate on moments in the match. Mm. Um, and 
I felt watching the game a second time that Arsenal just sort of got trapped. The team couldn't play out of, of Liverpool pressing high. There was no possession of the ball. Any possession of the ball was just sort of between Louise and Socrates and maybe Monreal and Maitland-Niles and then they'd clear it and Liverpool would come back again. And I find it very hard to imagine that the idea was that, yeah, we'll get Aubameyang and Pepe up against there too and maybe it'll come off. Because if it doesn't come off, then you're giving them the ball back already on the halfway line every single time that they win the ball, which is pretty much what ended up happening. And I'm not convinced that that's exactly what Unai Emery wanted to do. I Personally, I, I don't think... I think I'm probably similar to, as Tim said, not, I don't think it was necessarily a bad plan. I think it was a plan that could have been tweaked a little bit more to work out better. But as you've said, as you said on the Ask Cast Extra the other day, as we've mentioned already now, it, uh, to me it was just if you're going to give them that time and space and if Liverpool are then going to be able to pin you back as they did, then eventually they're going to score one. Andrew, it, it was um, a game in which we were under a lot of pressure, but one of the problems, I guess, that Arsenal have um, struggled with defensively are individual errors, individual mistakes. Mm. Um, And that, you could say, conceding a goal from a corner can often be put down to an individual mistake. It's probably a bit more collective than that because you've got eight or nine or ten men in your box, so it's it's not always possible. Uh, The second goal, obviously a mistake from David Luiz uh, giving away the penalty. The third goal, he got caught in a position where he couldn't make a foul. Can you put this down to a one-off or is that another little bit of a worry that the individual mistakes are continuing to happen even though there's been a a slight change of personnel back there? Um, I think, to be honest, when you're up against someone like Mo Salah and it was a similar situation in the Europa League final up against Eden Hazard, is that sometimes these players are just so good that they're they're able to bring those mistakes, draw those mistakes out of your players. Um, You know, that said, we are a team that has all too often made silly mistakes against smaller sides and teams and players who aren't nearly as good as those two. Um, I mean, I found I found it quite quite frustrating. I mean, more so the fact that the game just, as it quite often does, ran away with, you know, we just lost it in the space of 10 minutes again. One of those things where we conceded two quick goals, um, you know, all of the stuffing was knocked out of us and suddenly the game was lost with at least half an hour to go. Um I don't know whether there was an alternative to the plan that he set up. I mean, obviously there are many alternatives, but I'm not exactly sure what he could have done, Emery, on the tactical front to try and create a kind of completely different uh, game, um, aside from maybe just completely sitting back and hoping for the best. But, um, you know, there were there were positive elements, but I think it was very brave, let's say, putting someone like Danny Ceballos in, in there, um when he really had no idea what the pace of the game was about for the first 15, 20 minutes, I felt, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was frustrating. I mean, I, I, I'd like to think that David Luiz isn't going to make those mistakes regularly this season, but <laughs> I mean, we all knew that when we signed him, there was a possibility that those were in him and, you know, we, we have other players. I think Socrates is perfectly capable of making those mistakes and sort of did so last year at Anfield. And we know Mustafi's still on the books at the moment at the time of recording. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those things. I think we're another transfer window or two away from getting players out the, uh, the door who, who are kind of known for that type of thing. Mm. Just sticking with you, Andrew, you may, you, um, used a word there that I've written down here in, in terms of, 
Unai Emery and, and the way that he's going to uh, approach this season, and that word is brave. And um, if people want to talk about the approach at Liverpool being a little bit negative or a little bit um, something that smacks of, of an inferiority complex, the fact that he did play a midfield um, with Joe Willock, who's only starting his what, third or fourth Premier League game for the club, Danny Ceballos, who's only 23, um, uh, and and in the very early stages of his career in England, Matteo Ganduzzi has had a full season, but he's still only twenty years of age. You know, it, do, does that give us an indication that this season, Emery, leaving aside the the quality of Liverpool, which we all have to acknowledge, um, might well be prepared to take more risks with his team selections than he was last year? I think he's a he's a manager who's always willing to. Uh, give game time to players he feels deserve the opportunity and I think he he sort of he probably felt off the back of the Burnley game so Bias was you know a definite how could you drop him and mm. Willock has had a really great pre-season and a great start to the season so how could you drop him Torreira I guess I think he's kind of treating him with you know caution at the moment because of the fact that he's not had as much of a pre-season uh, to a certain extent he had a bit of a you know I, th- I think he felt like he could probably get away with his lineup given the, the consequences going on off the pitch, um, you know, Mesut Ozil not really being available. Um, Reese Nelson, I don't think, had done enough in the first couple of games to really, you know, command a place in the team. And Lacazette's uh, ankle problem is, you know, we're not quite sure how serious it is, but it seems to be serious when Emery wants it to be serious and not so serious at other times. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I hope he is more brave. I mean, I certainly feel like there's more room to be brave in the other competitions, Europa League and, and League Cup, because last year he wasn't on that front. I think because he was trying to get to know his players um, from the get-go, he was very keen to sort of try and use any opportunity to play what I guess you could call is his first 11 at the time, whatever that was, or try and figure out his first 11. I definitely think we'll see more youngsters playing Europa League, League Cup, and potentially FA Cup when that comes around as well. But um, we'll see. I mean, Joe Willock may well kind of, you know, he may well keep uh, Mesut Ozil out of the team anyway. Yeah, well, the Mesut Ozil situation is one we, we might talk about a bit later on. But, but Lewis, um, one man I wanted to ask you about was... Lucas Torreira, um, just sort of going back to Liverpool and his cameo was was pretty impressive. And I don't know if people picked up on this and maybe it's nothing, maybe it's me um, projecting in some ways, but but after he scored the goal, he ran back and he seemed to seemed to say something to the bench. He seemed to make a gesture and to, uh, to say something, whether it was like, I told you I could score or whether it was, you told you you should have fucking started me. I'm not quite sure. But he feels like a player who has in that, 30 minutes or whatever he got at Anfield absolutely staked a claim for uh, a place in the team for Sunday I think Lucas Torreira is the archetype of a player that you want in the derby to be honest and I don't know if Arsenal over recent years have had too many of those Um, I feel like our, our players who are passionate or show that they're passionate and up for a fight often are the ones with the most tendency to let their heads go as well and maybe do something stupid that costs you the game whereas Torreira's definitely not in that camp he's sort of the perfect mixture the the tenacity but also control and 
keeping his head about him, I think, and also being able to wind them lot up, which is absolutely perfect. <laughs> I think you saw when he celebrated his goal last season how much he, he enjoyed it and kind of, to use a, a phrase that I don't really like, he really got what it meant and what it was about. Um, I, I think, not just based on the game at, at Liverpool, I think Torreira is tailor-made for any of these big Premier League games where the intensity is high, where two teams are going to go toe-to-toe with each other and there's going to be a lot of pressing and he's just made for it. He would never shirk the battle and he would definitely be one of the first names on the team sheet if I was putting it out on Sunday. Yeah, Tim, um, it's been quite curious um, how under the radar he's sort of been in this pre-season and build-up to the new season when people uh, looked at Ceballos coming in from Real Madrid, when uh, Joe Willock, you know, had the preseason that he had, everybody was going, wow, this is great, Joe Willock. Uh, Gendouzi was there. Um, Granit Xhaka, who we'll talk about in, in a bit, was was there. And it's not so much that people forgot about Lucas Torreira, but he he wasn't really mentioned a great deal. And uh, as I said on, on Monday on the Arscast Extra, you know, I didn't really consider him... Uh, a potential starter for that game because obviously he came back late from the Copa America, etc. But uh, he feels like a player who could be somewhat transformative for Arsenal in the midfield, in uh, particularly a midfield which is at this moment in time a bit fluid uh, yeah. in terms of the makeup of it, what way it's going to be used, what kind of system we're going to play. And I'm not sure that anybody... Uh, in particular, is a guaranteed nailed-on starter um, because of the various combinations that Unai Emery could put out. But but Torreira, given the qualities and the sort of the profile of a player that he is, if we if we project onto this midfield the idea of dynamism, of pace, of agility, of of these qualities that we all want to see in our midfielders, he's got to be in there. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think what you've just illustrated there is actually all of a sudden we've got quite a lot of depth um, in that position. And if you're if you think in terms of a midfield three, we've probably got six or seven players who could interchange there quite nicely. If you you know, if you consider Ozil part of that as well, certainly. So, um, you know, and you look at (laughs) there's been a lot. I mean, look, everyone always wants to copy the successful teams. And there's been lots of talk about, you know, Arsenal mimicking Liverpool's front three. Um, but one of the things Liverpool do really well is they have six or seven midfielders who can slot into that midfield three at any one time. And they're all runners. Um, you know, they've all got high energy levels. And basically what they do is they run their legs off for a couple of games and then they change them and they switch them around. And, mm. um, you know, potentially um, Arsenal could do that as well. They, they, they've they got like a fair bit of depth in there. I, I think with um, with Torreira, I mean, the, the whole um, kind of him slipping away from the conversation thing probably happened in the second half of last season, actually. It was, you know, it's such like a, a quick hit in the first half of the season and everyone loved him and all the talk was about him. And then, you know, I think he tired a little bit and kind of came in and out of the team. But I mean, for me, he would be... So I, I think I know we're going to talk about Xhaka in a minute. I think Gendouzi is going to at some point take Xhaka's place um, at the base of that midfield as a first choice. But I, I think Torreira is quite interesting just because he's got qualities I don't think are easily replicated in our other midfielders. I do think there's an extent to which the others 
um, you know, they've all got their own qualities and their own styles, but um, Torreira is really the one that sticks out attributes wise. I, I think the underrated thing about him as well is, is you can use him in a few different roles. I mean, if we were going to play a midfield diamond, I, I'm not sure I would have had Gendouzi as the one wide of that diamond. I think Gendouzi's position for me is in front of the defence in Jacker's role. I think Torreira widened the diamond. Um, he, I think he played there against Chelsea back in January when we won and, you know, just absolutely tireless performance because he's got the energy levels to do that kind of play central midfield and right wing at the same time. So if we want to use the midfield diamond and don't forget, he played in that for Sampdoria. He plays in a diamond for Uruguay. He's very well versed in it. So um, I won't pretend I was screaming for his inclusion against Liverpool. But I think in hindsight, he should have at least come on earlier when it was clear that, you know, our midfield was really getting a tough physical examination. Mm. Um, so to bring him on at half time might have been, I, I don't think it would have changed an awful lot, to be honest, but might have been an idea. But yeah, I, I think he's he's propelled himself into the starting line up for Sunday but I think you'll see this a lot because we were saying this about Ceballos after Burnley you know all of a sudden you think wow he can't not play the next game and actually again in hindsight he possibly should have sat and filled out but yeah you understand all the reasons that he was picked but yeah I, I think I mean for me I think Torreira and Gendouzi are the future of the base of that midfield I think they really complement each other and and I think We've introduced a lot of new players into the spine, so I don't think Emery's going to overthrow things quickly. I think he might do it gradually, but I think in the second half of the season, you'll see those two a lot. The Andrew, the midfield options that we have are all um, relatively young. Uh, Torreira's just 23, Ganduzi's 20, Willock is 20, just gone 20, um, Ceballos is 23, we're discounting El Neni, I think, at this point because he's going, it looks like, a season-long loan to Besiktas. So he's out of the picture. Uh, Ozil, Mkhitaryan, you wouldn't really consider them deeper-lying or, or players who play a great deal in, in the centre of our midfield. Um, so it is relatively young and relatively inexperienced, and the, the experienced player in there is Granit Xhaka. Um, I've been really... What's, I don't know what the right word is here, but I've been slightly surprised at the level of invective that's directed towards him every time you mention his name uh, on social media. Or if you, if somebody mentions Xhaka, like there's immediately a load of people will pile in and say, Xhaka's a load of shit. This is, you know, he's bullshit. He should never play for the club again. And it feels like, not that it's come out of nowhere, because this is, what, his third or fourth season at the club now? Um, but while I won't pretend he's my favorite player ever, I'm not quite sure he's as bad as some of his detractors like to say. Um, it feels like because of his age and because of his experience and because of his um, leadership qualities, I guess you would say, he's a player that we're kind of going to need during this season while these young players continue to develop. So I'm just sort of curious as to your thoughts on, on what, what Xhaka's role will be this season. And also the, the sort of, I, I know online discourse and Twitter isn't necessarily a, a great gauge of public opinion, but it's still something that, that I'm encountering quite a lot. I mean, there's a, I mean, there's definitely a huge contrast between what 
a, a large portion of the fan base think of him and what the club insiders feel about Granit Xhaka, who, to all intents and purposes, gets glowing reviews every time any member of staff seems to, to sort of reference him. I mean, I think, Tim, you'll remember when we did that tour of the training ground this time last year and Darren Burgess was there and he was, you know, just singing his praises, saying he was an incredible kind of uh, presence around the training ground, that he was, you know, an impressive trainer, always gave 100%. You know, he's captain of his country and he's still, what, in his mid-20s. I mean, there's, there's, there's obviously something there that we're not necessarily seeing on the pitch. Um, I think he suffers a little bit from something that Mikel Arteta had at the, you know, at the same time, which was, you know, that position that he plays at the base of the midfield, kind of keeping things moving, tick tock, tick tock, and all the rest of it isn't particularly glamorous. It doesn't necessarily see you winning games or changing games all the time. Um, and as a consequence, it becomes quite easy in a world where everything seems to be black and white to kind of point the finger and go, that's the guy who's a bit shit. Um, I, I kind of like him as a person because when I see him speak, I think he's a very serious individual. I think um, he seems to have a certain authority about him. But do I think he's the right person to sit at the bottom of Arsenal's midfield? Do I see him as a long-term solution? Do I see him as the type of person who can anchor a midfield that's capable of winning like regular trophies, including the league? I, I don't know. I still feel like there's potentially someone better out there because he be um, the game seems to be so quick these days that even you know players you consider quite quick can get caught out. And he, when he wafts those passes around midfield, and you know that's what we're asking him to do. He's going to make the occasional mistake. The thing is, you need to have the recovery powers as well. And I just I'm not necessarily sure that he's got those. Lewis uh, Andrews, you know, mentioned the TikTok, TikTok with Jacka. There's a perception that it's tick, talk, tick, <laughs> talk. You know, and there is there is an element of truth to that in that he do, he is a player who requires a bit more time on the ball than you might like, um, particularly if you're a, a a team that is hopefully going to set up um, and exploit the qualities of this front three, um, which uh, two of whom have absolutely blinding pace and will benefit from the ball being moved quickly um, from deep lying areas, which which isn't necessarily something Xhaka does. Um, uh, as a matter of course. So is he kind of a victim of the need for Arsenal to to sort of change the dynamic of the team or change the profile of the team in order to be a little bit more a little bit more of a modern uh, football team, as Tim says, in, in, in Liverpool's midfield. You've got players, I guess, who are technically on the ball inferior to uh, to Xhaka, who does have a really good left foot, but but because of their athleticism, are far more effective in this modern Premier League. Yeah, I think the, you use the word modern, and I think that's pretty much what it's down to. I was going to say that Granite Xhaka is probably a a necessary part that Arsenal need to move on to as they modernise the team. I think the football in the Premier League in particular, probably 10 years ago and probably five years ago still, Arsenal would play most of their games as the big club and teams would come and sit back behind the ball with all 10 players and on the edge of their own box. And now teams, even Burnley, I think quite surprisingly, to me anyway, I don't 
watch Burnley every week, but I didn't expect Burnley to come to the Emirates and really press high. I think maybe there's a feeling from other clubs that Arsenal can be gotten to in that way, that they can nick the ball off us and, and be one, two passes away from being through on goal. And I think in general, teams have moved towards this sort of style of play. And Jack is particularly... Um, susceptible to that I think because he's just so one-footed I like Granit Xhaka probably I'm, I'm certainly not in the camp of you know abusing him and thinking that Arsenal can never go anywhere as long as he's playing but he's just so one-footed and you can just see teams they when they as soon as the ball goes him they want to force him to move one way because then the ball's just going to go back and it's it is really difficult. I don't think Arsenal have yet at the, his level when he's playing well. I think Gendouzi could become that and is obviously a much more dynamic player. I think Lucas Torreira could play that position but doesn't have anywhere close to the passing range of Xhaka. So it's really, really hard. I feel like he's integral to the team but at the same time maybe in a way holding the team back from progressing into what could be a team that could compete for the Premier League. Mm. I certainly don't think he would be, be playing for Liverpool or Manchester City, if we want to put it that way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, but- I mean, Pep Guardiola, when we signed him from Borussia Mönchengladbach, it was the summer that Pep Guardiola moved to, to Manchester City, I think, and he just spent two years, three years in Germany mm. and didn't apparently feel the need to go and hijack that deal when we were doing it. Yeah, well, um, certainly not at the price that we were prepared to pay, uh, even for for Manchester City. Um, uh, Let's, uh, Tim, move on from midfield, which is going to be a very interesting area to look at this season because it is quite up for grabs in terms of places and and we don't quite know how it's all going to come together. One area I think that we can look at and say, okay, this is our ideal trio this is who's going to get picked week in week out assuming all things go well and that's the front three of Aubameyang uh, Lacazette and Pepe Um, Mm. Lacazette's ankle injury notwithstanding um, and it it has been something that he dealt with uh, he had to come off in the Emirates Cup and what have you but I'm not sure his absence from the team against Liverpool was as much down to the ankle injury as it was Unai Emery's um, unwillingness to, to play the three of them together so looking ahead to this weekend do you expect fitness permitting that front three to start and should it start I, I do expect it to start, and I, I think it should as well. Um, you know, I, I still, uh, probably because I haven't had much time together yet, I still don't 100% see, you know, the the perfect, like, tactical blend or balance there. But um, I can't think of anyone else better to play, frankly. Yeah. Assuming we go back to a front three instead of a two, like we had at Anfield. I mean, who who's coming in for them? Mkhitaryan? Nelson? Mm. No, not really. Um, and, and I think Pepe's done enough um, in the last couple of games as well to show that, you know, maybe he's not physically there 100%, but he's just got, you know, the way he carries the ball, the way he dribbles is just, you can already see he's going to be a really, really special player, I think. And I think from now on, we will probably see those three more often than not Um and, you know, I, I don't think that Emery will play like he did at Liverpool that often. I do think that that's probably Liverpool and Man City away will do something that 
really concedes our inferiority um everything else is up for grabs and and totally rightfully so because i don't think we've got you know i don't think we've got a huge amount to fear or feel inferior about when it comes to that little band of team from third teams from third to six so Mm. um and you know having just played in a fairly cautious way at anfield and lost we're now at home it's a derby everyone's going to be really up for it i can just see him just putting that front three out there and just going yep okay the fans are going to be behind us we had a bit of a setback last week but things have been good you know let's go get it kind of thing and um, and and I do think you know, I, I do think we perhaps in what we've seen from Pepe in his first couple of appearances, we can start to get an imagining of how fluid this front line might be because Pepe doing a lot of work in the centre. I mean, he was basically playing down the middle at Anfield, but even when he came on against Burnley, he was picking up lots of central areas, swapping with Aubameyang quite a lot. Um, and I think there's a lot of potential there um, for those three. And I and I think now, assuming all three are kind of fit and sharp, Emery will just want to get them going together as soon as possible and kind of bank on the fact that this is, this is not going to be a kind of slow, feel your way into the game kind of thing. This is going to be a hundred miles an hour from the start so you know let let's go for it I, I think he'll do that yes Andrew um when when Tim talks about the front three and and how much those players can move around uh, and we talk about our midfield as well and and maybe Mesut Ozil comes into this a little bit as well that if we're going to play something like a uh, something like a four-three-three, for example, there isn't really, um, or a four-two-one-three. Perhaps you could fit a number ten in, but maybe there's room to play three midfielders and for Lacazette to sort of not repurpose, but he is well capable of dropping deep and he's well capable of getting involved in the play, um, which might allow him to take up a slightly different position on the pitch if he's releasing the two speed merchants outside him. Yeah, I think I vaguely remember Steve Bold when he was in charge for a game. I can't remember what it was. Was Arsene Wenger ill or something? There was a pit, or maybe he lost his voice for a period. And there was Steve Bold was talking about Lacazette and saying how much of a, you know, a real player he was, and that he could actually probably be a playmaker if he wanted to be. Um, so I definitely think there's an option there. I, unlike Tim, I'm not wholly convinced that Emery's actually going to field all three. I've just got this feeling that he wants to hold something back off the bench just in case the opening of the game doesn't go, you know, our way. Um, I, I, I am slightly, I'm slightly worried about the the depth behind Lacazette, Aubameyang, and Pepe. Um, I do kind of feel like if you field all three of those, and then you want to look to the bench for someone who's going to get you a goal, I'm not really sure who you have. Um, and it's always felt to me like Emery's liked having a, a sort of an option for the last 15, 20 minutes. And you know that's why I was slightly, you know, not disappointed that Enketia ended up going out on loan. But it, you know that that was definitely one looking to the future as opposed to sort of accepting our circumstances right now. Um, I, you know, on the other hand, I'd, I'd absolutely love to see all three of them play on, on, on uh, Sunday. Um, you know, we really got a great taster for the Pepe Aubameyang thing. I mean, their pace is electric and, you know, Pepe just looks um, much more of a physical presence than I thought he was going to be. I mean, you see players, and Lacazette was one of them actually, kind of getting barged off the ball when they first join. And I kind of looked at Pepe the other day going head-to-head with Van Dyke, and, you know, Van Dyke genuinely looked quite frightened for about 10, 15 minutes before he kind of, you know, found his footing, as it were. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Aubameyang's been electric, so you can't, you're not, you're not going to take him out. If there is someone who's going to sit on the bench, it might be Lacazette. Um 
and then I mean I just I, I can't I can't tell at the moment what he's going to do behind him. Does he go with Urs or does he go with Willock? I don't think it'll be Urzel. I think he'll be on the bench. But maybe Sabias Willock. I mean, you know, I could easily see if 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 this was last season's Emery Mikatarian somehow getting the shout because he kind of likes his energy and his willingness to get up and down the line. Again, I feel like Nelson didn't really take enough of his chance in the first couple of games to kind of squeeze in there. I don't know. Yeah, it's good. It's it's good. It's it's a relative. I am still slightly concerned by not having goals on the bench. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a consideration. I hadn't really thought about that, but but Lewis, it feels to me like, um, given the the pressure that's on Unai Emery to finish in the top four to get Arsenal back into the Champions League next uh, by the end of the season, that that. Um, he kind of has to shake off the the shackles a little bit, and, and maybe it's not who he is. Maybe he he finds it difficult to to completely, if not throw caution to the wind, not to sort of think a bit sensibly about things, and maybe keep somebody on the bench for uh, for a goal if we need a goal or if we if we need to change the game in some way. You know, you're going to have to you know if you start all three, maybe you have to sacrifice one of your goal scorers or potential goal scorers to to change the game in a way. But it feels to me like if he were to be that brave and to really go for it, it would um, it would win him some friends um, among the fan base, or certainly calm a few concerns that people have. Um, I mean, the result ultimately will be the the thing that people judge the game on, rather than than his team selection but but it feels to me like there's a job to do in in terms of convincing the fans that the football that he plays is the football that fans want to see yeah i think that's i think it's beyond doubt that that's still the case in to his credit i think arsenal especially at home in these big games last season they went for it from the off they did it against tottenham they did it against chelsea against man united not so much in the FA Cup, but learnt from that mistake and did it in the league game. So, and even against Liverpool as well, actually, I do think the team will come out the blocks on on Sunday. He was talking in his press conference today, Thursday as well, about the fans and so much about the fans and how much the game means and it being one of the biggest games or the biggest game in the world. I think he maybe said, and right. I do, I do think he wants to to start these games at a million miles an hour the bench is is the one thing that might be a problem I think I remember a lot of people last year in the derby and he started with the Wobie and Mkhitaryan and took them both off at half time for for Ramsey and Lacazette and it does feel like he doesn't have that option and there was theorizing last last season that he'd sort of said to Mkhitaryan and Iwobi go out there for 45 minutes and give me absolutely everything with it already in mind that he was going to switch him at half time, mm. but as as Andrew said, um, if you play Lacazette, Pepe, and Aubameyang, then the bench does start to look pretty thin in terms of players who can inject something into the side. As not just knowing Ketio or or all of the the three sort of main forwards starting, but the, we've also lost a Wobi and Ramsey in the summer, so it does look a bit tricky. I wonder how much. Tottenham themselves are going to come into it. I think we all know that Unai Emery is a coach that takes the opposition into account quite a lot. And sometimes that works out well and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Spurs are without a right back on 
on Sunday. Yeah, there's some talk Kyle, about Eric Dyer going to be playing there, maybe. Yeah, I think Musa Sissoko was the other one that I saw suggested earlier. Probably and, a better fit than Dyer, in fairness. And I just think it, if that's if that's going to come into it, then is that going to shape what we do? Is it maybe going to be? Is he then going to think to play Kalasanac and and a back three and try and really go at that side with maybe Kalasanac and Aubameyang down there or something? And I think. I think we might get a surprise. He does seem to spring a surprise or two in the lineup. Yeah. So maybe we will see one of those front three on the bench, I think. Right. Well, that'd be something, wouldn't it? <laughs> Play with the back three. And then uh, I was going to like, I was going to talk about what, what our midfield trio would be. Uh, and now I'm just terrified of a, a back three and Kalasinac. But then, Sorry. <laughs> that's all right. Um, I mean, Tim, any thoughts on that? Whether, um, what what uh, a team announcement with a back three <laughs> might how that might go down i mean you know i've said it before back three doesn't necessarily have to be viewed as as a negative formation no. um but the way we've played it has often turned out that way yeah yeah so i mean we we used to, we've used it quite well against spurs before i i don't think that we'll do that on this occasion i i think um what's really interesting is that all three you know i listening to andrew and lewis there kind of uh, i think rightly you know talking about well what do we have on the bench and actually i i'm wondering if everyone's thinking the same as me that Urzel and mkhitaryan will probably be on the bench yeah our two highest paid players <laughs> and and we're talking about what what do we bring off the bench if things aren't going well? And we've almost um, forgotten about the two guys we're paying the most money. Um, and maybe that's like rousing sleeping dogs um, and an old argument. And they're probably players that Unai Emery would have been happy to lose this summer if someone would have come in for them. But it's, you know, we were talking about Xhaka earlier as well and how, how his stock's fallen. And, and, you know, Ozil, like, kind of forgotten about Mkhitaryan, you know, I think I think the consensus is he's just infuriatingly inconsistent. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I just I just found that really quite interesting, actually. I don't think he'll go with a back three. I think um, the fact that they seem to be holding this Monreal sale off says to me that they they want him on Sunday. And I think that's because they want him to play left back in a back four. And actually he played left back in a back four away at Tottenham in February. And and he played it brilliantly. Um, even in terms of, you know, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, he's lost a yard of pace and everything, but he was flying up and down at Wembley um, back in, back in February when we played there. So I, I still think it will be a four, um, I do think it will be a bit of a four-three-three, maybe with a bit of a twist. Maybe someone will play somewhere that we don't quite expect. Um, but yeah, I I don't see us using uh, the back three on this occasion. Mm. Uh, very quickly, assuming we're going to play three in midfield, who who are the three you think he's going to play? Because I, I think he's going to play Xhaka. I think mm. he's going to play Torreira and Genduzi. I think he's going to play Xhaka, Torreira, and Ceballos. Um, actually, I do mm. think as much as he likes Gendouzi, I do think this is one where he might just sit him down um, and get Xhaka and Torreira at the base there with Ceballos, you know, a, a little bit ahead of them. And, and Ceballos is a good link as well, I think, between the the midfield and the attack. Um, and, and that attack 
can kind of take care of itself i think i don't think they really need you know um should we say an Urzel or someone like uh but i mean i'm sure they'd appreciate it but i, I don't think like uh, high on the kind of Maslow's triangle of needs that that front three requires. I, I I don't see like a a through ball merchant as as really part of that. If that takes something else away from us in midfield, so I think Sabios will play most games because he can do that eight ten hybrid role. Um, but then again, he might he might go for Willock. Um, you know, might go for like a harder runner in there. Play him for forty five minutes and then take him off. Um, I I could see him doing that. You know, like. Um, with one of the wide forwards, maybe he might go for a Mkhitaryan or a Nelson and say, okay, give me, give me 90 minutes running in 45 minutes. And then I'll hook you and put one of the other guys on. Um, I, I could see any one of those things happening really. Mm. Andrew, uh, any thoughts on the midfield three? Um, so I'd written down Xhaka, Torreira uh, and Sabias as a kind of midfield three, which I know is kind of quite harsh on Joe Willock. Um, but yeah, that basically I was, I was kind of the, same as uh, what Tim was thinking. Um, you know, I, I think Ozil is going to be someone who might come in off the bench, but only if we need him. I mean, I could easily see us going through this game without him. Um, I've just got this sneaking suspicion that Mkhitaryan's going to get some game time, though. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I know how I feel about that, but I don't see that there's any real point in talking about it. Uh, Lewis, um, would you do anything different from, from that? No, I did to echo... Tim and Andrew, I do think maybe Willock might go in there and just be told to give everything he's got and at half time he'll come out for for Ceballos or for Gendouzi, depending on what the result is at that time. Mm. All right. Well, look, we'll we'll see uh, on Sunday afternoon what happens there. Just sticking with you for a minute, Lewis. Um, Nacho Monreal, it does look as if he's going to be uh, leaving the club and heading to Real Sociedad in Spain. Uh, I, I thought the um, reported timing of the move uh, this week, where they were where they were saying, "Look, they want to get it done. They want him to play in the the Basque derby." Uh, Real Sociedad are playing Athletic Bilbao on Friday night. Uh, I thought that was very strange because um, it's clear Unai Emery has got some reservations about, say, Kalasinac in in a back four. Um, and if we are going to play a back four against Tottenham, Nacho Monreal is the obvious pick because he's played there uh, and mostly plays there when we do play uh, a back four. Um, are, are you in any way surprised that, that he's the one who's leaving between him and Kalasnach? Because obviously with Tierney in, we can't carry three left backs uh, through a season. Yeah, I mean, so I think also today, I don't know if the Tierney update that he's supposed to now be back about or at least a few weeks earlier, has now yeah. come out to kind of worry people's fears about Monreal leaving. Um, or if indeed Monreal is being sold now because Tierney's ahead of schedule. But um, I guess, I, I think they probably would have preferred to sell Kolasinac. But there's been these rumours for a few years now about Monreal going back to, going to Athletic Club or going to Real Sociedad. And it may be a bit like Cashel when he feels like he possibly wants to end his career back home and if he's the one they can get a fee for just with one year left on his contract too then I think it all makes sense to be honest it's unfortunate and I think it's a shame I don't think anybody will be particularly happy to see him go but as you say they can't keep all three of them on Andrew um, going out uh, and leaving the club after six years more or less with a win in a North London derby would be far preferable for him than his final game being a 3-1 defeat 
to Liverpool and he has been an excellent servant down the years. You know, I think we forget when he came to the club, he he was behind Kieran Gibbs for for a mm. good while. Uh, it took him it took him a little bit of time to establish himself as the as the number one pick, but uh, you know, it, he's been a really consistent, really solid, really professional player. Yeah, I'm I've absolutely loved Nacho Monreal. I mean, maybe not straight away because I think it took him time to kind of get used to being in a big club environment. I think the thing that really changed things for him was learning the language because I felt like he... He, he looked like a slightly nervous presence, someone who, without having the, the, the ability to communicate with his teammates, wasn't able to necessarily get the best out of himself. And, you know, as soon as the language came, he, he's just become more and more of a vocal and, and a vocal presence on the pitch. And, you know, you can see that the other players seem to respect him. I, you know, I, I look back on his time and it is, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you, you mentioned the fact that he was behind Kieran Gibbs. I mean, he basically killed Kieran Gibbs's career and he's a you know, a really steady seven out of 10 player every week. You know, you rarely get a kind of bad performance out of Nacho Monreal. And for that reason, I'm really sad to to see him go because, you know, the fact that we even chose to kind of basically announce him as one of these three captains, which is something I think we might go on to, I mean, is is really interesting. I don't think we really wanted to let him go at all, but it, we're just trying to think practically at this point. I know that he's under contract for this year and we had an extension option for another year. Um, I'd have happily sort of had him around for a couple of years just because he's quite versatile as well. Um, he'll be he'll be a big loss to the to the camp. And I think, you know, for, for one of the players who's relatively understated, I think the fans will feel this one. Tim, thoughts on uh, on Nacho and and his time at Arsenal? Um, I, I've really liked him. I have to say, I like him as a, a player, and I've liked him as a, as a character as well. I think he he seems like a, a good guy and somebody who's really brought something to the dressing room. Yeah, one hundred percent. I I think you know you look at that signing uh, what six and a half years ago, and you tick that and say, yep, that's one that worked out quite nicely. Um, I I think maybe we're just about to move away from the age where your ideal fullback is your seven out of ten presence every week, and yeah. you know we're moving into the age of like you know the super fullback where they cost sixty seventy million pounds and are the key to winning you games. Um, but you know Nat- Nacho very much fits that kind of almost Bakri Sanya like you know just seven out of ten every single week. Um, I, I think this sale's got a touch of the Awobis about it in that we probably don't really want to do it but kind of have to because you know unfortunately the interest for Kalasanac is probably not there because we got him on a free and that means his salary is probably in excess of what he's actually worth and uh, and, and I think that tells you something as well I think it tells you something that uh, Monreal at 33 has got clubs interested in him and said Kalasanac mm. apparently hasn't um, I, I do worry about that going forward because um, I wrote a little bit about this today, actually. If Arsenal are going to do, <clears throat> excuse me, the passing out from the back thing, having Kalasanac as part of a back four <laughs> in a unit that looks to pass out under pressure, I just don't see how he fits that at all. Um, he, he's very good going forward, and I, I kind of like him in the last 20 yards of the pitch, but um, I really don't see how he fits into a unit that kind of looks to pass its way out of trouble because technically he's... 
you know, he's a he's a kind of Walcott level. Um, but with but with Nacho, Na- uh, Nacho's been a, a superb player. Just just exactly what you kind of want in a defender. You know, just like I think he probably appeals to the traditionalist in some of us as well. You know, just like sensible haircut, uh, <laughs> no tattoos or earrings or anything like that. You know, just the, the non, kind of non- the grumpy visible. old man. Non visible, Tim. You never know what people do. Well, well, indeed. Um, you know. I've uh, never been in the shower at Arsenal yet. Um, but but yeah, you know, he's, he's he probably like, particularly, you know, to a British football crowd um, inside the stadium and everything, he probably appeals to a lot of us, uh, our idea of what a fullback should be, kind of fairly quiet and unfussy. And, and Andrew spoke about the language there. I do think that's a big thing. I do also think that spell he spent as um, an emergency centre-half, that happened just before he kind of broke into the team ahead of Kieran Gibbs. And I think... As kind of as kind of hairy as that was at the time, I think that probably did him the world of good, particularly in terms of adapting to the physical side yeah. and just playing regularly. I think and getting that rhythm, and and he never really looked back after that. Mm. I do I do remember um, doing a podcast with uh, with Rory Smith one one year a few years ago just when when all this happened with Monreal at centre half, and I think the centre halves we had at the time were. Koscielny, Mertesacker was probably Vermalen, was it? Yeah. Um, and then Rory Smith, um, who'd obviously spoken to somebody, um, said on the podcast, yeah, your your fourth centre half this season is Nacho Monreal. And I was like, what? <laughs> but, you know, it, it it sort of improved him as a, as a player and as a defender and as a left back, you know, maybe you're, you know, even in your mid to late 20s, when you have a little bit of a position change, it shows that you can learn things about the game and adapt them to your more natural position. So, uh, yeah, well, credit to him, and hopefully, hopefully, he does play on Sunday and he goes out uh, with a with a bang and maybe a goal, one final goal for Arsenal against Tottenham. I think uh, he and everybody else would enjoy that. Um, I, I just want to finish with a little discussion because we are heading towards the end of the. The, the transfer window in Europe and Unai Emery talked about his captains and his captaincy group and, and all that kind of stuff and he said he couldn't really finalise it until the, those windows were closed because he didn't know who might be at the club or who might not be at the club Monreal is an obvious uh, example of that but Monday it'll be closed and it looks like Monreal is the only one that's going he's ruled out a, the departure of Mesut Ozil before the end of the, the transfer window so as it stands, the two captains that he has um, left in his uh, group of five captains uh, are Ozil and and Granit Xhaka. Um, it's a it's an issue which I think exercises a lot of people because we all want a captain, a real uh, chest thumping leader, Tony Adams style captain. We all want that because we can all see what benefit that is to the team. Uh, but we don't necessarily have that person in the squad. And while I'm not a huge um, fan of this five captains idea, I can sort of see a little bit of logic in it, in that it allows Emery to to basically drop a captain or drop his captain without it being a, a huge issue. Um, but, uh, Andrew, if you had to pick one player in this squad to be the Arsenal captain... You can do whatever you like with this. Who would you mm. pick? I'm going to go with Hector. Yeah, I would too. I mean, I'm going with Hector because I like Hector as a human being. And if you're going to have someone representing your club, the club that you love, you might as well have 
a person that you share values with and i kind of feel like even though i'm not going to dress like hector bellerin and i'm probably not going to be as brilliantly kind of eloquent about some of the big issues going on in the world um i like him i like him as a human being and i'd like him as an arsenal player he's someone i like to listen to and i like that he represents our club and i would quite happily see him wear the armband lewis um, I'll throw the same question at you, but obviously, if it were Hector, there is that issue where he's not going to be in the team for a little while. Uh, he's going to have to make his way back from the injury and 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 take it slowly and ease himself back into action after being out for nine months. So that's a you know that's something we have to contend with. So it sort of adds a little bit of weight to Emery's um, you know group of captains, if you like. Uh, but same question to you: who who would you pick if you had the one person you could give the armband to? Yeah, it's the same answer as well. I, something after all these years of the captain changes every 12 or 18 months or the, somebody's captain and they don't play for a year and then they leave because they've been injured. I just really like the idea, on top of what Andrew said, of having someone captain who could be there for six or seven or eight years from now, which hasn't happened since Tony Adams. I think Vieira was captain for three seasons, um, if that actually mm. too um yeah I, I, that's something that actually really appeals to me after all of the the kind of nonsense that we've had of captains being out for a year and then Arteta was basically the captain but didn't wear the armband and then he was the captain and he didn't play for a year and the exact same thing happened to Mertesacker and obviously Van Persie and Fabregas and Henri all left uh, somebody who's going to be the captain for seven or eight years somebody who's guaranteed to start if they're fit um and yeah i think hector bellerin really really does properly represent arsenal and what arsenal was about to most of us tim yeah i, I think uh, the bellerin answers are, are really really interesting actually I, I wrote a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago because it really shows how on one hand you're right everyone wants this kind of tony adams roy Keane figure but on the other hand when you know, we say Bellerin, and don't get me wrong, I'd I'd be delighted for him to be made captain for the reasons that you that you guys set out. But actually, it's not about what he does on the pitch so much. It's it's kind of it shows how what our perception of a captain is has kind of changed because I don't think those Tony Adams, Roy Keane figures exist in any team really anymore. I just I just don't think people are like that anymore, um, and not just in football. Um, and so, and so, it's just quite interesting that we look at Bellerin almost as like a good PR kind of, um, uh, you know, PR captain, as it were. I mean, personally, I'm not. It's not an issue I'm that exercised about. I want to see leadership. I'm not that bothered who the captain is. I, you know, I might give it to Socrates just because I think he'll play most games, and it's probably. Um, the most kind of unfussy, unnoisy thing to do, and it's the thing that makes people talk about it the mm. least. And maybe you know, give it, give it to Socrates for like this year or till the end of his contract or whatever, and and then maybe look at you know who's really because I think you know Arsenal's had a lot of turnover in the last couple of years, a lot more than people realise actually. When you think who's left and who's come in, it's almost a totally brand new team, and you have got this new core forming around players like Lacazette, like Torreira, Gendou. Bellerin, maybe even Holding, um, if he can come back okay. You know, maybe even someone like Bern Leno. And I just think in a year or two, 
it will be clearer who that kind of captaincy group is, who like who's really emerged as the leader of that new core. Because what we're seeing at the moment is the last captaincy group is nearly extinct already. Yeah. And the t- the two players that are left from it in Xhaka and Ozil are ones that lots of people want us to move on from. So, mm. um, you know, there's there's like a new group forming there, and I don't think it's quite clear who the outright leader of that is yet. Um, so I'd probably I consider this maybe a bit of a transition period and therefore would just give it to Socrates because it's probably the easiest thing Mm. to do. Yeah, I I have to say I think if we are looking at a captaincy group and if Xhaka and Ozil are going to be in it by default, I'd like to see Hector Bellerin put in it because Mm. uh, I I completely agree with Andrew and Lewis. I think he's a really smart, intelligent, thoughtful guy who's going to be in our team week in, week out when he's fit. But I think as well we have to look up front and and when we when we consider this Arsenal team these days, you know, it used to be a case that the the players you thought of were Sanchez and Ozil, uh, but now it's it's Lacazette and Aubameyang, and I think the influence of those two guys on the pitch and probably off the pitch ought to be recognised by Unai Emery, and I think Emery's got not a not a problem or anything like that with with Aubameyang and Lacazette, but I think they're they're sort of their popularity makes them powerful in a way. Um, and I'm sure you saw, uh, Tim, uh, the social media stuff this week, you know, Aubameyang asked, why didn't Lacazette start? And he goes, well, good yeah. question. You know, I, I, you know, I know we can read too much into social media stuff. It's, it's, um, you know, it's human nature to do that to an extent, but at the same time, he kind of has to make sure that those two guys are happy because if one of them's happy and the other one isn't, then, well, it's not going to work out. Or the other guy's not going to be as happy as he should be, you know, because they're, they're such good friends. So it's an area, it's just a little thing he just has to keep an eye on. Yeah, and, you know, he's trying to convince both of them to sign contracts as well, ultimately. Um, and I think that's another part of the reason that he'll, uh, maybe a little part, but a part of the reason he'll start to play that front three, just because if he's thinking, look, if I'm going to convince Lacazette and Aubameyang um, to stay, they're not going to be short of suitors. I've got to convince them to stay here. That definitely means they're, they're going to have to play. Um, I don't think either of them would be happy to sign a contract if they're not in the team regularly. Um, but I think I think you're right as well. I think the uh, it's an interesting idea to make at least one of those two part of the group, not least just because if the group um, can perhaps just go through the spine of the team, you know, so you've almost yeah. got like the defensive captain, the midfield captain, the forward captain, if you want to put it in kind of fairly crude terms, like just having not just a good kind of leadership group um, in terms of, shall we say, representation in the squad. And I think Emery said he wants someone English or British in there. Um, Whether that's going to be Tierney or Holding, um, I guess we'll see. But I also think having a good spread throughout the team um, is a good idea as well, because ultimately what's important is not so much the armband, it's leadership. And that's a collective idea as much as anything. And and we need to have it in every area of the team. So, yeah, if we're talking about a captaincy group, absolutely. I think, you know, like you say, they're kind of like the symbols of Arsenal. And Arsenal know it, you know, look at the social media stuff. I think Stuart um, even put up a photo today, you know, mimicking that old Ian Wright and Thierry Henry picture where they got their arms around each other at yeah. Martin Keown's testimonial and you know the, the club are obviously acutely aware of it I mean look at the kit um, kind of shots and everything in the videos it's yeah. those two are front and center so um, yeah I, I think absolutely one of those two should be in it 
All right. Well, look, we'll we'll find out in due course, but we better leave it there, gents. Uh, thank you very much indeed for your time, Tim. Thanks a million. Pleasure, Lewis. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, and Andrew. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Thank you very much indeed to the guys. You can follow them on Twitter. Lewis is at LG Ambrose, and you can read his tactics column on arsblog.com. Andrew is at A. Allen Sport. Tim at Stilberto. And uh, thank you very much indeed to the guys for their time. We've had lots to talk about, of course, heading into the, uh, to the North London Derby this weekend. So, given that we've been going for, well, over an hour now at this point, I reckon it's time just to call it quits on this particular episode. But I did say I was going to tell you about the new new Arsblog app for iOS. It has been given an update. It won't work with some of the more um, elderly iPhones out there. It's optimized for the the newer ones. So if you're just using the Arsblog app um, on your old phone, leave it. Don't delete it because you won't be able to install uh, the new version. Uh, So if it doesn't give you the option to update in the App Store, just leave the one that you have. One of the cool new features of the app, though, is that if you're an Arsblog member on On Patreon, you can log in with your Patreon credentials and you get everything completely and utterly ad-free. So that's an added benefit for you if you are an Arsplug member on Patreon. If you're not and you would like to join and support everything that we do on the site, as well as getting extra bonus content, ad-free podcasts, uh, free audiobook, uh, access to our uh, Discord chat server. Um, We've just added a music channel in there, which is quite cool. People are are posting uh, Spotify playlists. So there's all kinds of stuff going on in there, as well as football chat and all the rest. You can go to patreon.com forward slash arsblog, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Costs a fiver a month. That's it. You uh, don't have to sign up for any longer than a month either. There's no long-term commitment, none of that kind of stuff going on. So give it a bash. Why not? Patreon.com forward slash arsblog. James is on his holidays. As we speak, he is somewhere in sunny Spain, basking in the sun and eating all the ham on ruffles that the uh, supermarket has to offer. Lucky guy. I'm actually going to be in Spain next week as well, so I'm going to eat plenty of ham on ruffles. However, I will be here 
on Monday with an Arsecast Extra for you because, well, we can't have a North London derby and not have an Arsecast Extra the next day. James will not be hosting. I will be joined on Monday by Tayo Papula. So join the two of us for the Arsecast Extra. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend. Let's hope the boys can do it and uh, we can head off into this interlull with Tottenham's scalp in our back pockets, nine points on the table in the Premier League and, uh, yeah, all the fun and enjoyment that that will bring us. So, until then, until the Arsecast Extra on Monday, take it easy, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye. After months of suspense, Arsenal Football Club today put the world to rest with the announcement of their new captain. He's short, strong and incredibly physically powerful. Some say he's a throwback to days of yore. But chairman Sir Chips Keswick is confident he can do the job. This bloke is a proper fucking boy, let me tell you. He's captaining a big club with his very own big club. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.